Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Read My Lips Radio. We're here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Moved here on June 1st and so happy to be here. I have two really, really, really interesting guests. Oh, we've got a puppy in the background. I'm on Zoom with my guests, and I'm going to tell you we might have an extra guest. That's a beautiful puppy. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who my guests are. The topic today is the creative spark. And that's, I wasn't sure what to call this episode, but we're talking about bringing your life story to life. Now, you probably know a lot of people who've written an autobiography or a poem about themselves or an essay. What, how many times have you written your bio? How many times for job resumes? I've done this and I've done that and I grew up here and I did that. Well, what about if you actually wrote either your life story or you wrote about your life story? And in some cases, it got made into a movie a big movie, a real feature movie. And what about if you wrote a a bunch of humorous essays about your family and people liked it and your family didn't disown you? Well, we're going to talk to people who've done that. I'm seeing smiles from my guests. So let me tell you who they are. Then I'll do my usual shout outs. And we have some interesting celebrity birthdays today. But I've got a crazy thing I haven't done before. I have the list of national holidays in the U.S. this week, July 27th to the 31st. And I think you're going to be shocked and amazed by all of the creative holidays I've found. So let me tell you who we've got today. We have Jan Hurst. She wrote an autobiographical romantic drama story. It's her story. It's true. It was called, it is called His Sunrise, My Sunset. And it's about her wonderful marriage to a man named Steve for 44 years and a terribly tragic and unfortunate and very, very difficult ending car accident when they were on a special trip with a bunch of Corvettes. I'll let her explain that later. And Jan wrote her story and it's a book and people love it. And I've got the reviews. Uh, I hear on Amazon, a wonderfully amazing love story, a wonderfully written love story about losing the one great love of your life. Beautiful tribute to a strong love and faith an honest and vulnerably told story. And that's all beautiful, but Jan didn't stop there. She sold the book and got the movie made. How many of you have gone that length to tell your story? I don't think a lot of you, and we're going to find out how Jan did it. I don't know, because she didn't tell me that part of her story. And then also joining us is comedian and writer Eddie Sarfati, whose last name is spelled S-A-R-F-A-T-Y. He's been called an acerbic stand-up comic. He captures the everyday absurdities of life. He has some self-deprecation, a lot of it, sarcasm loaded, and a sharp instinct for the ridiculous, especially when it involves his family, his pets, his boyfriend, his city of New York. Eddie's got it all. <laughs> and he also teaches stand-up and improv. And Eddie knows that I did stand-up years ago. Now, Eddie, I just try to be funny sitting down. I can't help it. You've got to you know, be funny everywhere. That, absolutely. In improv. I took improv with Michael Gelman from Chicago Second City. Oh, really? Judy Carter. All, I did that in, in New York for years and years and years. So today, join me. I'm AK Radio Red. Red for short. And for long, I hope, the creative spark bringing your life story to life. And we'll hear from Jan and Eddie in just a minute. Let me give our shout outs. We have one shout out. LLL, lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. I don't know how that all worked out, but it's a lot of L's. And I keep telling her, Whitestone, where she lives, Eddie, 
starts with a W. So I told her last week she got to move to London so we could have lovely, lanky Laura legs. Our most Laura listener in London. She said she'd love to move to London. So we're going to take up a GoFundMe. Laura, you're going to get the money and we'll move you to London. You'll still have to listen. She listens every week and emails me after the show about what she likes about each of my guests. So let's talk about today. July 27th. It's the 208th day of the Gregorian calendar. It's a leap year, so it's 209th if you're counting correctly. We always do a shout out to Greg, Gregory, Greggy, whoever Gregorian was. Maybe that's an adjective. Maybe it wasn't his name. Thank you for your calendar because we appreciate it. Also, very important, 157 days left to the end of 2020. I personally can't wait for this year to be over. It's been a hell of a stinking year and it's still a hell of a year. So I'm telling all of you, as soon as your local liquor store or email liquor store, contact Gary V and get something from his online wine shop in New Jersey. Eddie, you can figure that out. And so can I find something wonderful to celebrate New Year's because at least we'll have a new number 2021. And maybe that will bring us a better year than this one. So the shelves are going to be cleared out very soon with good stuff to drink on New Year. I'm telling you, 150 days left is not a lot of time. So Jan thinks I'm funny, Eddie. I don't know if you do, but Jan thinks I'm funny. How am I doing, Eddie? They're doing great. I'm not not the arbiter. (laughs) Well, you teach it, so I have to know. So here's the deal. We have some special holidays, and then we'll have my guests introduce themselves more completely. U.S. national holidays this week, July 27th today. Today is Love is Kind Day. Okay. Today is National Scotch Day. There you go with the scotch for New Year's Eve. That's it. Eddie's drinking it. And today is National Creme Brulee Day. And National New Jersey Day. How can you have a National New Jersey Day? New Jersey. That's why you need the scotch. (laughs) That's right. And the creme brulee, right? Jan, we'll get the creme brulee. Tomorrow, (laughs) July 28th, is Milk Chocolate Day. I can go with that. Buffalo Soldiers Day and Water Park Day. Are there any water parks open right now? I I don't. It's a bust. I I don't think think so. so. we're not going to celebrate that. It's, it's what we used to love. We used to love Water Parks Day. That'll be the day. Wednesday, the 29th. Get ready. Eddie, you're getting that scotch. It's National Lasagna Day. Jan, it's National oh. Lipstick Day. And it's National Chicken Wing <laughs> Day. So already in this, week, in this week, we have creme brulee, scotch, milk chocolate, lasagna, and chicken wings. But it gets better. It gets really? Better. Is it National Bulimia Day after that? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> July 30th, Thursday is National Cheesecake Day. OMG. <laughs> it's National Father-in-Law Day. It's Whistleblower Day. It's Chili Dog Day. And it's Intern Day. And Friday, oh my gosh. it gets better. It gets better. I don't know who makes these up. Friday is National Avocado Day, Raspberry yeah. Cake Day, Mutt Day, Talk in an Elevator Day. System Administrator Appreciation Day and Get Gnarly Day. So that's the holidays for the week. And I think that's just about enough. So I hope you enjoyed those, everybody. Let's get let's get on I think with the you show. Should make up some and then get people to try and guess which ones are real. Oh, you know, I could do that next week. Eddie, you want to send me some examples of holidays you think we should have people guess? Oh, sure. All right. We'll have we'll have the Eddie Sarfati made up versus real holiday of the week next starting next week on Read My Lips. Okay. I like. Eddie, thank you. You're going to be with me a long time. So let's get with it. Jan Hurst, I met you at the virtual National Publicity Summit. It was national, it was international a couple of months ago. And I was taken with you, how lovely you are and and your book. Thank you. Well, thank you. But what was important to me was that you sold the book and got the movie made. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that happens on an everyday basis. So Jan, give us a little bit of your backstory and then talk to me about in just what did you do? How, How did you decide 
they're going to make a movie out of this. What did you do from point A, writing the book to point B, getting Corbin Burnson in your movie? So go ahead, Jan, and welcome. Okay. Well, basically, my dad always said I was very independent, even as a child. And I suspect it was because I was brought up at a time when parents were very strict and had roles. You definitely had a role. And I was brought up being told over and over every day I was just a girl, and things I couldn't do. So I always wanted to do things, of course. And I wound up starting out as my mother was proud as a secretary, got married, had kids, stayed home. And I still wanted to go to school and I wanted to have a career of some kind. My husband was in the military, so that was great fun trying to change jobs and schools all the time. But that was a goal I had. I just personally, that's something I wanted to do. And he was supportive. And I got into programming before women were much in that. Me and too. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I figured out that, okay, I was just a girl, but I could be a strong girl and I could, I could pretty well move on. Um, as you said, you know, we had a very good life together. I have to say the military is tough, but it also has many advantages of your travels and people you meet and, and things that go on. But, um, you know, I was brought up also by my dad, who who always said, because as a child, it upset me we moved so much every year or two. Um, you know, he always said, the world is not going to change for you. Life is not fair. So you figure out how you're going to adapt and make your life work. And so I kind of became known as an executive, as a problem solver. You know, I looked for creative ways to get teams together and make things happen. So that kind of was my agenda, if you will. Well, we retired. And within seven months of our retirement, we were on this great trip. We were going to go on a Corvette caravan. And um, we did have this accident. We were hit by a truck and I lost my husband. And, you know, it was a few years later because I, let me back up one second. Along with my career, I had been in management and I had worked my way up MBA and, and got a PhD because I wanted to write management books. This was going to be, I was used to writing more formal things and more instructive things. And, and that was my goal. Well, he was killed and that flew by the wayside. Um, but I kept waking up a few years later with these thoughts that I felt I just had to start putting down. And the thoughts were that the three days they kept him alive, I kept having flashbacks of our life together, how we had you know, met and the whole, the whole thing. So I wound up writing this book and that was really what spurred it was just these images that kept coming to me. And once I wrote the book and I honestly, I self-published it, I really didn't plan on anything big coming of it. And I certainly don't know how to market or, or do things like that. But I had friends that were so encouraging that they loved the book, they loved the story, that it helped them, it inspired them, and that, you know, I should definitely pursue it. And so I did self-publish, and not too long after, I had several people say, this would be a great faith-based movie. And I really didn't have a plan, or I didn't know how to go about it, except that I knew there were faith-based movies being produced from a church in Atlanta. And I thought, well, you know, all they can say is no, right? 
So I contacted them and they said no. They said they had people, professionals that did that. They, in fact, they had joined with Sony. They, they have all these writers and they have plenty of stories. And, but I noticed that there was a website. It was for Voyage Media and that it, it was offering um, a test. If you had a manuscript that you wanted evaluated for its appropriateness or you know marketability for a movie. And so it was a hundred bucks. I thought a hundred bucks, I can do that. So I contacted them. They, you know, asked for my manuscript. I sent it and they sent me back this very professional, long, you know, talking about characters, talking about audiences, talking about all of that. And they came back basically and said, if you want to do this, we can get a screenwriter that'll work with you and we can start you know, promoting it to producers. And so it wound up that I did do the script with the screenwriter and um, he um, was a producer himself, but he also worked with, with um, some other producers. And that's how I got in contact with the Nasser group. And they liked it, and Corbin Bernson wanted to do it, and away we went. <laughs> Jan, all I can say is, wow, you saw a <laughs> website that Eddie, 100 bucks she paid to get an evaluation of a script that a movie house for faith-based movies had said no thank you to, and you just, you went out yeah. of your comfort zone, out of your lane. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I Bet I bet. Yeah. Let me give you a rest here. I love the story. I did not know any of that, and that's why I'm glad we yeah. saved it for live radio. Eddie, let's get some more of your backstory. I just mentioned that you're a comedian. You've got an acerbic wit. You love to write about your family. Where do you come from? What do you do? How'd you get involved with comedy? Eddie, you're up. Talk to um, me. I I grew up. Um, I was born in New York City. Grew up in the suburbs. Um, how did I start in comedy? I, you know, when I was a kid, I was I was a fat kid. I didn't really have a lot of friends. And my parents sent me to a summer camp for the arts. And I loved it. And I went for eight summers. Um, and I took choir and theater and painting and all kinds of stuff. And um, I had such wonderful experiences with, with um, the other kids there that I thought, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. And... Um, I, I was in high school in, in, the, in the shows in high school and community theater. And um, I was a, a drama major at college. And I started to understand that what I really loved was like the camaraderie of the experience rather than the nuts and bolts of the, being an actor. Like, you know, what's the audience's, what's the author's intent and what's the director's vision and how would, you know, how would this character lift a cup of tea? And it just made me completely crazy. And I... And um, I was, of course, that was after I'd spent a zillion dollars on college. So that was unfortunate. Um, but I was studying at the National Theater Institute and I was telling a story to some people. And it was one of those things where you're telling a story and someone says, oh, Dave, Dave, come here, Eddie, you got to tell him the story. You got to hear the story. And I told the story a few times and this woman in my class said, that's hilarious, you should be a stand-up comic. And that was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. And it was years till I ever got the nerve to try it. Yeah. And then I tried it and it was so terrifying 
that I, you know, I didn't do it again for a year. And then I did it like a few times. And then I was doing it sort of half-assed for, um, for a long time. And then in 2001, I just decided I didn't want to be 85 years old, regretting that I didn't do it. So I left my job and I luckily had a gig for the summer in Cape Cod performing. And um, then that led to um, some guys from a, from a theater school in Washington, DC saw my show and they invited me to come teach there. And then I started doing um, stand-up workshops at little theaters mm -hmm. and through a club here in New York. And through that, I got some coaching people, you know, coaching clients and um, get hired to write punch-up stuff for people. And um, I loved your story, um, Jan, about your how you got your your book done, done. And I mean, it's all very, I mean, your life is filled with things you never thought would happen to you. Mm -hmm. And um, I love, like, you're, it's sort of a dream story how you did it. I mean, mm -hmm. you're so lucky. I mean, people, I have friends who are like sending manuscripts over and over and over again. Um, and I had a very fortunate, a super lucky story. Um, I had a friend of mine, a comedian named Bob Smith, who was also a writer. And at one point he was asked to submit uh, a story to an anthology that someone was putting together. And he told the editor, get my friend Eddie to write something. I bet he could write something. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know what? I haven't written anything longer than a joke since, <laughs> since I was cramming my last paper in college. And, um, but he kept hounding me and I did it and people really liked the story. And mm -hmm. um, then I was at a party and my, um, and my friend Bob had been saying, you should write more, you should write more. I bet you could get a book deal. And I was like, are you crazy? I wrote one little story. But I was at a party and I was waiting to get a drink at the bar and there was this guy there and I introduced myself and he said, oh, I know you, you're that comedian. I've been to see you a bunch of times. I think you're really funny. And I said, oh, that's, you know, that's certainly nice to hear. And then I said, what do you do? And he said, I'm the editor chief at Kensington Books. <laughs> so so wow. like, like two weeks later, I had a, a contract for a book. It was like, you know, wow. completely right place, right time kind of, kind of uh, thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Life happens. Life happens when you're busy standing at a bar, getting a drink at a party, right? Eddie? Yeah. Isn't that true? Was it National Scotch Day by any chance? I, I don't know. I don't drink. National Club Soda Day. Club Soda with Lime Day. We've all been there. We've all been there. Absolutely fascinating. Life does happen. Uh, funny story. Um, I, I left New York after my mom passed away, almost literally in my arms. She was 100. And Jan, um, we... She, she passed, but they got her on a ventilator and I spent the last 24 hours with her in the hospital mm -hmm. and I had to say, let her go. Yes. And when I read your story of going through that with Steve, mm -hmm. the tears, and I, it brought back not bad memories, just very difficult memories. And I knew <laughs> I had to make a change. And I put my co-op in Great Neck, New York on the market about, I started getting brochures from places in Durham. My daughter lives here. And I said, I got to get out of New York. I got, because mom and I saw each other at least once, twice a week. I took her groceries. I bought groceries for her. We went shopping. She loved to go to Lowman's, but she didn't like anything in later years. And by the way, my mother at 100 lived alone in North Shore Towers. You may know where that is, wow. Eddie. Yeah. In the Lake Success. She lived alone. She refused to have an aide. She said, 
why would we get an aid and waste the money? They're going to get up in the morning. They're going to watch her mom. She said, they're going to watch me put on my makeup, put on my jewelry, <laughs> get dressed. They're going to watch me go to the hairdresser once a week. They're going to watch me play bridge and mahjong. They're oh going to watch God. me play the piano for the Shalom Club at North Shore. My mother would sit down and they say, oh, would you play the piano, Ruth? She played since she was 10 for, for uh, while the women are coming into the meeting room for the Shalom Club. And she would play for a half hour and she wouldn't stop. People in her building complained that she didn't play the piano enough in her apartment. She filled the room with, I have her baby grand now. Wow. So I came here and the funny thing is, never thought much about, I played the flute in junior high school and I was in the band and blah, blah, blah. Never thought much about it. And one day I got the idea, two ideas. One was Michael's had an art set. I think you'll love this one, Eddie. Michael's had an art kit, an artist uh, called his artist, yeah. uh, artist loft for 65 bucks and it came with a, a tabletop easel and canvases and paints and acrylics and brushes and this and that. I have no idea why, but I bought it and I stuck it in the closet for about a year and a half year. I just put it in the closet. Wow. Second thing I did was I remembered that my friend Pat from Great Neck who lives in, in Long and uh, Florida was playing the drums and she was having a blast. So oh. one day I called her up and I said, hey, how'd you start? And she said, oh, I called up the School of Rock. I found a local franchise. I signed up. I took a lesson. I loved it. And I'm playing the drum. So I looked up the School of Rock and I went and took a free lesson. And oh my six, gosh. Weeks six weeks later, I'm on stage at a place called Motor Co. And they have kids bands, teen bands. And I was in the, <laughs> I said, I want to play in a band. So they signed me up for the adult band and I was playing Aerosmith's Dream On. Eddie, Dream On. <laughs> I've been a drummer for six weeks. I'm on a stage with a couple hundred people there and, and listen i've emceed bachelor rocks on, on auctions on long island i've em i have my own tv show radio show i've been on stage in front of a thousand people but being on stage with eight other musicians in a band play after six weeks of drum lessons i thought i would die Eddie, yeah. it was one of the hardest things i've ever done and people said to me you've only been playing six weeks i was pretty good it's like oh my god can i breathe now let me go home anyway <laughs> i i I joined a rock and roll band here. We have a 12 piece band called Still Kicking. I think it's an awful name. It's like, are we not <laughs> dead yet? We're still kicking. And I just started my own band, Latin band called Red's Hot Mango. Don't ask how I got the name. I have no idea. Okay. So I wanted to call it salsa. And the guy said, well, it's Latin, but people think of eating salsa with chips. I said, but salsa is a dance. No, it's no good. So I said, all right, we'll call it Hot Mango. So it's Red's Hot Mango. So I have my own band. I've been playing a year and a half. I play at open mics. I have my own open mic night here. I produce, but I took the art kit out of the, the closet. I don't know why. One day I said, God, I took it out and I let it sit in the kitchen for two weeks. Didn't touch it, didn't open it. Then I opened it and I looked, oh, that's interesting. They got a, an instruction book, how to use this, how to use acrylics, how to use uh, chalks, how to use watercolors, how to use the brushes. I thought, that's kind of cool. That's about eight months ago. I have more than 50 paintings in my house. That's great. Oh my God. I can't stop painting. I can't stop painting. So life has wow. its, its twists and turns. And it just, yeah. I think if you go, and I don't call myself a creative person. I don't know why I could call the two of you creative, but I just, it's just something that happened that I allowed to happen. I allowed it. So Jan, let's talk a little bit about what you do. Besides, we want to talk about the process of the movie and how, if you help pick the actors and what it was like writing the screenplay, but tell yeah. me a little bit about what is your life like now as a famous author and the screenplay <laughs> writer of a famous uh, movie. What is life like for you? Uh, if I was a famous author, I'd tell you, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, I have to say though, you must have an Energizer bunny and you like your mom. I don't know. <laughs> That's wonderful. Or an story. Adderall addiction. <laughs> yeah. I don't even take um, that. Actually, 
I'm actually a year and a half ago after being a widow for eight years, I got remarried. And oh, you did? Uh, Tov. oh yeah. Mazel Tov is right. Wow. I didn't know that. And how is yeah. that, Dan? Tell me. It's been good. We uh, live at a really great community that we're on a lake and has golf and I'm learning how to golf and things I've never done. And, um, you know, made a lot of just great friends. It's a very wonderful community. And, um, so stay more busy than I was before, for sure. Um, you know, doing that. So now my life is, is very good. And, you know, it's actually, um, what I'm doing right now is, uh, we've started doing an enhanced book because there, the movie, um, is on Netflix as sunrise in heaven and mm-hmm. it was on the DVD and it's on, you know, iTunes and all that, but Hallmark was interested in it and they wanted it to be more secular. They wanted some of the prayers taken out. <laughs> so, um, so they reshot some of the movie and they call it forever love. And so, um, I have a publisher that I'm working with that, that wants to revamp the book and um, enhance it and add more to it that was in the movie because the script, when we got to writing the script, of course, we're writing dialogue. So it built the characters more strongly than what I wrote in the book originally. Jan, do you ever pinch yourself and say, I had a wonderful (laughs) first marriage. I have great family, love my kids, my grandchildren. I know you live with your kids and, and just say, and one day I decided to put my, my script for my book through a would this make a good movie website for a hundred bucks and here I am and now you're rewriting and your your hallmark yeah. is interested in reading so yeah. what was it like just briefly what was it like when you knew it was actually going to be made into a movie did you help pick the actors d wallace is in it i know and corbin burnson did you get to pick who played you how did that process go well i didn't exactly pick but one of the selling points if you will because I also am one one of the executive producers but because I believed in it and so I bought into it as well but um, one of the big reasons was because Corbin Burnson had shown interest and he had gotten into these faith-based movies and you know he has taken off doing a lot of a lot of those types of stories now in fact he wrote one of his own I guess and recently did a movie but um you know, that was very encouraging to me. And I, I have to say that, you know, they did um, pick the actors. They told me about them all. But I have to say it was such a wonderful experience because um, especially a couple of the actresses called us before I ever went. To, I went to California when it was filmed. It was great. Took my granddaughter. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. So we met the cast and crew and spent the time while they were filming. But um they had called because they wanted to talk to us. They wanted to talk to my daughter. They want to see what she was like. The one that was playing my daughter that was here in Tyler, for instance. And, you know, so it was a great experience. And when we got out to California, I was amazed. I was really amazed. I, I don't know. I guess sometimes we have an image of what we think Hollywood people are like. Um, but they were all the cast, the crew, the actors. Um, they were all so into this and they were also oh, thank you for writing your book and thank you for letting us do it. And oh my God, you know, and I was really taken aback. I have to tell you, this is kind of a cute story. When we first got there, we got to this house where they were filming because they do a lot on sites instead of building, you know, stages anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, we got to this house that was like a 50s vintage house and uh, had the garage in the back, 
detached and they had all the food and everything out there. So we got out of the Uber, walked up the driveway and here comes Corbin Burnson. And of course I, you know, I never met Corbin Burnson and he walks up to me and he goes, hi, I'm Corbin Burnson. And I go, well, hi, I'm Jan. And he goes, Oh, are you playing Jan? And I said, no, I am Jan. And he goes, oh, you're the real Jan. And he put out his arms and he came and gave me the biggest hug. And, um, you know, that's how they were. And we'd show up every day and they'd say, Jan's here, you know, or <laughs> it was just fun. It was really fun. Jan. I have to say my granddaughter was a hoot because she was pretty laid back about the whole thing till we got out there and they were having a food line one day, everybody was eating lunch and and uh, they had some extras that were on that day. And they're all talking about how they're the extra doing this or that or whatever. And, and they looked at her and they said, oh, are you an extra? Which part are you doing? And she goes, no, I'm the granddaughter of the author. <gasps> You're the granddaughter of the author. <laughs> so that's how I'm famous. And from then on, my granddaughter thought I was just gold. <laughs> that, those, are, those are charming and beautiful stories. One question, Jim, when you saw your lines come to life in coming from the lips of an actress who was playing you. Were you happy? Were you sad? Were you, I shouldn't have written it that way. It didn't yeah. come out right. Was the emotion what you had felt or an approximation of it? What, what was your yeah. reaction to that? What did you think? No, I really, I really felt that they got the emotion right, but you know, they all quizzed me. They all were so genuine about their interest in it and not just playing a part, but they, they realized it was a true story and they seemed very, you know, just, just adamant that they wanted to hit it right. Um, and I think there were very few things that, I mean, of course they dramatized some things just because it's a movie and all that. But uh, for instance, the actor that played my husband young, you know, um, at the point where, cause he's going through line, I kept rejecting him and rejecting him because my dad said I couldn't date you yet. And, um, you know, when he went through, because I'm sitting behind the camera and I can see them, you know, I can, so I'm watching the monitor and I'm watching them. I can see both, you know, while they're doing it. And um, when he came up, they took a few different views of it. That's what they would do. And then they pick the one they want to use. But one of the views was they were right on his face and he's looking at her, at me. And, um, you know, he says, well, will you go out with me? And he said it so much like my husband said it. I mean, he had asked me beforehand what he was like and what his demeanor was and everything. And I'm sitting there and when they said cut, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of those. Well, thank you, Jan. That's, I love the story. It, it, I'm, it's still amazing how it all came to be. And there you it's were. Amazing. I want to focus some more attention on Eddie. Eddie, we haven't really given you the props that you deserve here. I'm going to read a little more detail on your bio. So go ahead and be embarrassed if you want. Eddie has appeared on the, <laughs> the Today Show. He's been on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. Blend. Mm -hmm. He's been on Logo's Wisecrack. He's been on the Joy Behar store. He's one of the subjects of the documentaries Laughing Matters and Heartfelt. He's been featured at Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, the Toyota Comedy Festival, the New York Comedy Festival. He's the author of Mental Funny in the Head, Kensington Books. We know about that. His essays mm -hmm. have been published in the anthologies When I Knew, I'm Not the Biggest Bitch in This Relationship, and Love Christopher <laughs> Street. His writing has been featured in the Huffington Post, as well as Out, advocate in Metro Source, the Gay and Lesbian Review Worldwide, and LA Confidential Magazines. 
on went on and on. He's taught stand up at the theater lab in DC. Eddie, for goodness sake, let's talk about when you got to be famous. Here you were. Well, I don't know oh, if I'm funny and you told a joke. I was going to say, now he's famous. <laughs> what was this yeah. like, Eddie? What did you, what changed in your life? How did you get on the Joy Behar? How did you get on the Today Show? Talk to us. Um, well, the Today Show I was on because um, of the original story I had written, um, which, uh, which first appeared in the book When I Knew, which um, I also, it's also um, reprinted as the first story in Mental. But- um, Grandma, grandma. Yeah, story. so they did a, um, the Today Show did a story on, a piece on the book. So they invited several people to come in and talk about that. And um, the other stuff, you know, was just from comedy. Um, and I'm not famous. I occasionally would get recognized. You are now. <laughs> well, <laughs> then I will, I will um, yeah, <laughs> then I'll pay some bills. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I mean, it's fun when people recognize you. It's fun when people say you made them laugh. That's mm -hmm. like, you know, because I always joke, people say, oh, you're a comic, you must, what a great job, you know? And like, of course, like I say, well, I'm not really in it for the money. I'm just in it for the, uh, for the erratic hours and the parental disapproval. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it's, it's, a great, it's a great job. I mean, it's so much fun when you can make someone laugh. It's like, I mean, there's nothing better when you're on stage and it's going really well and you're in the zone. I mean, you know, Red, it's like, you know, of course, you know, sometimes it's not so fun. You know, that can happen to anyone. You know, Eddie, the metaphor you use in comedy is you either die or you kill, right? You either kill or you die. And I think Judy Carter was the one I'm trying to go to gallery view. Judy Carter was the one who told me in one of the classes I took from her in New York. Um, there's a reason you hold the mic because the mic is power and you're on the stage. You're above everybody. You're looking right. down at the audience. And, and if you are, go ahead. Well, you know, when I first when I first started doing stand up, you know, I really wanted people to like me. And, you know, I, it all depended on whether they liked me. And I was, um, I remember some reviewer once said I was a nice guy comic. Cause I was very clean cut and that, you know. And um, then I realized I was watching a friend of mine, Judy Gold um, perform and watching her, you know, some college aged women were in the front row, like not really, she was asking a question. They were giggling, they were shy. And finally she just said, what the hell am I doing up here? Wasting my time talking to you. And people laughed. And it made me realize that you are the, people are happy for you to be in charge. They're relieved for you to be in charge. Yes. And there's no, you know, and so I'm not mean on stage, but I, you know, I, I have definitely have a much stronger point of view than I did there because, it, you know, if, if people like it or they don't like it, um, you know, you do try to accommodate that. You don't want to do a whole show mm -hmm. that people don't like. Um, but it was sort of what you were saying before, Red, about your drumming and your, you know, that you were scared. And I think, I bet that that ended up being more scary in theory than when you were on stage, which is the same thing as stand-up. And I think a really big lesson I've learned is that it's sort of true about everything. You know, everything's scarier in theory, you know, and with comedy, 
you know, public speaking is people's biggest fear, you know, in all the studies more than snakes or plane crashes or whatever. And of course, stand-up comedy is made even more terrifying. And, you know, I have comedy students, I do these workshops where people want to have their first experience at the mic. And um, the big fear is what if they don't laugh? What if they don't laugh? And it's terrifying, but the worst thing that really ever happens is that people don't laugh. Yeah. And, you know, and you walk away and you're fine. And, you know, so um, I feel like I've been talking and I don't really remember the beginning question. That's perfectly fine. That's pre- I, I, I have like the attention span of a Yorkshire Terrier. That's okay, darling. How I want to know how you got on Joy Behar show. How did you get on the Today Show? Was you said it was from a story you wrote? Um, yeah. Do you have an agent? Does your agent book you into these places? How does that work? Um, no, I had um, um, for Comedy Central and Logo. I was referred. I was referred to their development director by another comic and I had sent in a, you know, he asked me to send in a video and I did that. Um, Joy Bayer, I was referred by another comic to be a guest on her show. Um, you know, who you know is good. You know, when you know people, it's good. Um, you know, not that, I mean, especially if it's another comic because comics are going to recommend someone they think is terrible. You know, it's not like I know the, you know, the wife of the, you know, of the cousin of the so-and-so. Um, so it's just been a great experience. You know, I, 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 good. you know, I never thought like if you would have asked me the first time that girl in my class said you should be a stand-up comic, I would have thought, oh, that's never going to happen. Um, I am remiss by not doing a shout out yet to Susan Corso, who recommended you. I love Susan Corso. Because Susan was on a couple of weeks ago and she was absolutely lovely. What an interesting woman. Absolutely yeah, fascinating. Really and I needed a fill-in guest for this. And I said, hey, Susan, do you, and she- a fill-in? I wasn't the first choice? The first choice. <laughs> so actually the woman who was supposed to be on today with Jan ended up, she had been waiting for a, a surgical procedure for four months due oh. to COVID. And today was the day that she got scheduled. So she apologized deeply and we've got her coming on in two weeks. So Eddie, it was right. a medical emergency. <laughs> you're, you're filling in for a medical Eddie, emergency. Eddie, you're my first choice, Eddie. Okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, you are mine now, but there was, I met somebody, Jan, at the, at the uh, summit when I met Jan and somebody else was booked for, so Eddie, you'll, you'll have to forgive me for that. <laughs> that reminds me of a funny story. I, yeah. I, I, I had the good fortune to meet Lily Tomlin several times. <gasps> And Ooh. she she told a story that when she did um, a Prairie Home Companion, mm-hmm. that they told her Meryl Streep, you know, she was going to be co-starring with Meryl Streep. I said, "Oh, that must have been exciting." And she said, "Well, she wasn't my first choice." <laughs> <laughs> Speaking, you of know, first- I have a question. I have a question, Eddie. You know, sure. I never went into sales because I don't deal with rejection well. So I imagine what you do faces that feeling of rejection. How does that, I mean, does that bother, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a numbers game. I think, you know, like your story and my story with the book were, you know, highly unusual stories. Yes. You know, and I do think that, first of all, creativity is a numbers game. Like I have to think of 50 jokes before I get 10 premises that are workable. And then I have to get out of that, maybe I get two jokes that really work. Um, 
you know, and that's true with any kind of, you know, with painting or music. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with getting your art out there, it's a numbers game also. It's how many, how many, how many uh, manuscripts you send out or how many auditions you go to or how many, mm -hmm. you know, people you bug. How many jokes yeah. you write? Didn't they say Jay Leno used to tape record himself on stage? He'd do three or four clubs a night and he'd have the phone and he'd tape record and he'd listen to the laughter to decide what the set was going to look like eventually because what jokes flopped, what jokes soared, what jokes wow. people like. And it, it is a numbers game. But I, you know what? I'm so carried away with both of you. I forgot to do the famous birthdays and oh. I'm going to get a lot of complaints if I <laughs> oh, don't. I can't wait. I don't know how, but I was so excited about the holidays. I mean, actually, you know, New Jersey Day with creme brulee day, lipstick day, chicken wing day, cheesecake day, <laughs> avocado day, and mutt day all in the same week. It's, it's just overwhelming. So is it, that, is it nut day? Mutt, mutt, mutt with an M, mutt day. Oh, mutt, like, mutt. okay. No, yes, not cashews. And, no, and because you were saying the list of food and then you said Mutt Day. And I'm like, oh, that's like some weird Chinese well, you give the, thing. And by really the way, who, who's the puppy behind you, Eddie? We need an introduction. Lucy. This is Lucy. <laughs> hey, say hi. Say hi. Hello, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy is one of my alter ego names. I've been known as Lucy and there was a Desi <laughs> in my life once. So. Redhead. <laughs> yeah, so people put me in their speed dials, Lucy, so nobody knows who I am when I call <laughs> Never mind. Here's yeah, we're we're doing the sit down comedy tonight. So 1944 today, Bobby Gentry. Didn't she sing the song about oh, the Tallahassee Joe. Bridge? Yeah, the Ode to Billy Joe. Full of the Tallahassee Bridge. Uh, she was born today, and and I only do people who are still living. I used to do uh, the the birthday list of people. Uh, I cap it at people who are still living. Peggy Fleming. Let's go skate around the rink. Figure skater and sportscaster. Uh -huh. 1948. Maureen McGovern. Very well-known wow. American singer and actress, born in 49. Roxanne Hart, I don't think she's that well-known, but as soon as I saw the name, I looked up her picture, and, and she's been in a lot of TV shows and movies. Now, here's somebody. I don't know who they are, but the name was really cool. Get this, Eddie and Jan. The name of the person is Yahoo Serious. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I do know that name, but Australian I can't actor, director, producer, and screenwriter. Yahoo Serious. Happy birthday, Yahoo Serious. We're seriously Yahoo. 1953. Here's the comedian, the famous. What, what movies did he make? Didn't say. I have to go look it up, and I took all the links out. Oh, if you uh, go to Wikipedia, if you want to know anything about a day of the of the year, you go to Wikipedia. Uh, you put in the date, and it will bring up all the deaths, the births, all the real holidays. And all of the famous people who died on that day in, in history. That's where I get my, my stuff for. So, Eddie, guess who the famous comedian who was born today? You can't guess. What year was it? 1956. Famous comedian was born today. Um, <clears throat> I think she's a New Yorker. First name has five letters. Uh, <laughs> I'm making it torturous. It's Carol Leifer. Carol Leifer oh, was Carol. American actress, comedian, screenwriter, and producer, and another comedian, much younger, 1972, Maya Rudolph was born Aww, today. I love her. Isn't she an amazing <laughs> improv? And by the way, uh, Eddie, I took my comedy lessons at Steve Rosenfeld's American Comedy Institute. That's where I started. You get three weeks, uh, Jan, you go in and they sit you down in the class. They say, well, think of your funniest relatives of the day you started school when you are a kid or something. Think of real life stories. And... Um, and then you have three group classes and three private lessons with Steve. And yeah. you put together a three-minute comedy routine 
with an opening and a closing. You learn the learn to get the blue light, and then they put you on stage. I chose Caroline, so I debuted on at Caroline's on the stage. You bring family and friends; they all have to pay, and the audience was packed. And my family, yeah. a whole bunch of people, took a car in, and we went out somewhere to a famous deli in New York. After, and you're on stage, and they they bookend the set with a professional opener and closer comedian. Right. Sitting backstage was like, oh, am I really going to It's nerve-wracking. Even to this day, I don't, like is, to, you know what? I don't like to show up till right before my set. I, I like, if I'm sitting there waiting for people to finish, I just start to get crazy. I, I understand. And I tried open mic nights around New York, Eddie, and those are brutal too. You Hell might it. not go on till two in the morning oh, and they have 30 people in front of you. And then by the time they've all exhausted the audience, there's three people left. Is it really? Yeah, Do we have to wait for her? It's ex- it's excruciating. The, the open mics that I love are the music open mics because it is a, a much more accepting. I go as a drummer to open mics and I sign up on a list and uh, I get to bring three songs. And so somebody signed me up the first time. I was going to this place. I brought my sticks just in case, but no intention of playing. I was still fairly new a couple months. And a woman who was also taking lessons, but had been playing for years, put my name down, my real name on the list. And all of a sudden they called out my name and I said, what just happened? I, I didn't want to you're going up there and I walk up and I'm walking all of these wires and cables and they've got a two guitars and a bass and they've got this big drum kit and they've got a couple mics for singers and somebody's got a cajon and somebody's got a this and a that. And I walk up and I sit on this drum kit I've never seen before. And I said, I, I, I'm, I'm opening with, with Mustang Sally. Oh, we know Mustang Sally. And we played and played. And I thought, I just died and went to heaven. It was, it was, and everybody was nice to me. And they didn't say, oh crap, she's only playing for three months. What's going on here? They liked me and they accepted me and I kept the beat. And then I brought, I think the second song was um, The Thrill Is Gone by B.B. King, which I did kind of as a bluesy, medium, slow ballad. And then I think I did um, Miss You by The Stones. Well, I started going back every week and sitting there and listen, I'm the only one who's there dressed in a, a black dress, red hair, lipstick, makeup, jewelry. They're all in torn t-shirts and jeans yeah. and they're doing the, and no, just the, the, the cigarettes and the beer's going down. And I'm sitting there with a glass of water and my sticks in my big purse, you know, and I'm going up there and I got all this jewelry and I got a spark. That's great. It was, it was phenomenal. <laughs> but like- I have to tell you one night I went up and I brought three songs. Mustang Sally has become my kind of my war cry. And I think I did Keep Your Hands to Yourself by the Georgia Satellites and one other song. They played so long. My three songs went 28 minutes total. They didn't stop. And I know because my friend was with me and he videoed me. And people in the audience were saying, we got to go up and rescue her. She's going to pass out because it's hot in the back of the bandstand. There's a little alcove here and it's a hundred degrees in the club and I've got tights on and red boots and I've got my jacket on and all my jewelry. And I'm going, Oh my God. And they, they were like, I got so much applause and I guess the musicians wouldn't stop because it was going so well. And they just interpreting and interpreting and more and more and people came up more singers came up some sat down got exhausted they sat down and more and you know what eddie i have to tell this more more to eddie than to jan to me that kind of quote-unquote improv that kind of open mic is so accepting and so loving Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to be corny or woo-woo here but there's a sense of camaraderie and respect Mm -hmm. you're a musician you want to play 
where we'll let you play. So I started my own open mic here in my community. Our clubhouse has been closed for four months, but I started an open mic. And sometimes I'll get 12, 14 musicians. I have them send me the sheet music with the chords for the guitars a, a couple days before. I pass it around an email to everybody. We get a drop in audience of between 10 and 40. Sometimes they're drunk out of their minds and they they dance and sing a lot. I tell them, use your phone to look up the lyrics. We have sing-alongs, we have dance-a-thons. Two hours, we can cover 22 songs in two hours and I brought bring my whole drum kit takes a whole truck to bring it and I and I MC obviously and I tell some I tell the audience listen you might dance and clap and sing off key and we might play off key and it's okay with us and it's okay with you and everybody gets warmed up and then we and I have a list and everybody gets one song and then we go through the everybody brings between three and five songs that they've had a chance to prepare and then we go through them and a lot of people sing off key and they play off key. And people have fun. They have There's a There's not a lot of pressure. They have a blast. And they tell me it's the most fun thing they've done since they moved here. And well, I I'm think, absolutely shocked. I'm sorry. Eddie, go ahead. You. No, I think, um, you know, the audience wants you to do well. Yes. I mean, you know, and even with, you know, even with comedy, the audience wants you to do well, you know, there's nothing, I would say, if you're dying up on stage, the audience is envious because they would rather be dead than listen to someone bomb on stage. It's horrible. It's the most uncomfortable thing ever. But in open, think about it, comics in open mics, comics aren't going to laugh if the joke's not funny. Right. So it's not that they're not supportive of each other. You know, I, you know, I have, comedian friends who you know I'll say oh what do you think of this joke and they're like oh it stinks don't even bother and you know what great because I don't need to go up on stage with something that is just a disaster mm. <laughs> you know I don't want to mm. have a bad experience um and I think though when you're doing music you know if you hit a bad note there's another note right away that's right Not like you have to stop and address that note and especially if it's a cover song Eddie we're almost out of time and I want you to tell us briefly about second guessing grandma because that's an important story and I know you've published it separately and it's the opening of your book mental and I was just wondering if you could give us a synopsis of some of the funny parts like when you told your grandmother your news and her reaction and how your mother talks about some of your pitfall experiences very loud to her friends and makes them her 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 joke so just tell us a little bit oh, well, that's that. a different story that's okay. in the in the the second story lactose intolerant okay um but um the second so grandma someone was putting a book together called when i knew <clears throat> which was about um when you first knew you were gay when you first realized it and the book had a lot of you know famous actors, but also like famous people in business and famous people mm -hmm. in advertising, whatever. And um, so I wrote this story, which turned out not to be quite on point with what they wanted, but they liked it so much that they put it in. I love it. Um, and um, so I was, um, I grew up, my grandmother lived with us growing up and she was, I'm the youngest and I was the last one to leave home. And even after that, I was the only one who lived nearby everyone else lived in other cities. And um, I was very close with her. And she was a tiny little old lady. She was like four mm -hmm. foot eight. She weighed like 85 pounds. She was like 90 something. And she would sit in her upholstered rocker and knit every day and our crochet. And I, you know, she started asking me about the, my roommates in New York. And 
she said, oh, they have, you know, are, are they Jewish boys or do, do they have girlfriends? And I said, no. And she said, why are they gay? And I didn't like want to lie to her, but I didn't really know how someone of that generation. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you'll be that way too. And I was like, okay, let's just change the subject. I don't want to deal with this. And, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't change it. She kept harping on it. And um, she goes, it's that gym where you go. That's where they all are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, whatever. And um, she she would just be like, um, you know, I'd call her. She'd go, hi, Grandma, how are you? She goes, how do you think I am? You know, I'm like, oh, good. what are you doing? She goes, I'm thinking. What are you thinking about? What do you think I'm thinking about? You know, so it was, but then she was very sweet. You know, she 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 was like, well, you know, you don't like a girl to get married. You like a boy. And I'm like, yeah. And she said, well, then that'll be your life and you'll be happy that way, which was lovely. Wow. And, and then she was like, but she, she knew I was gay, but she was confused about it in ways. So my mother, mm -hmm. you know, PFLAG, which is the parents and friends of lesbian and gays, have a book called Now That You Know, which they give to parents to let, you know, for them to, you know, parents are concerned. They want you to make sure you're okay. And um, so my mother says, why don't you give her the book? So I give her the book and I come home a couple of weeks later and the book's, you know, dog-eared. She's obviously read it. And I said, oh, grandma, did you read that book? And she said, yes, it's disgusting. And I was like, oh, ooh, uh, and I'm going, oh, yeah, it's disgusting. She goes, yes, it's disgusting. It says that some of the parents don't love the children anymore. Yeah. Which Aww. was like, oh, my God, like burst into tears. Oh, what a beautiful grandma you had. Yeah, and yeah. that was, um, that I got approached, someone made a movie of that story too it's on my website at keeplaughing.com i want to thank both of you i wish we had more time oh, I want pleasure. To thank, you. thank you for being thank you, thank you so much i appreciate you having my me pleasure. thank you for being brave and and for talking to each other and for talking to me i don't pick people in the same genre for these shows and now you know why because we always find something that's a common thread. That's yeah. a com it's just about people. That's all. It's about people. It's but about I, special people. It's well, creatives aren't <laughs> they the most special? I think I'll call myself a creative now. Eddie, <laughs> you jumped in on this with just a couple days' notice through Susan Corso. Thank you again to Susan. Hugs yeah, to thanks, you. Susan. And Eddie, it's just been such a joy meeting you and having mm -hmm. in common with you and Jan. I was a mainframe programmer back in the mid '70s, coding in mm -hmm. COBOL on a Xerox Sigma six CP five and on PL one. Mm -hmm on an IBM 4341 originally on key punch cards. So you know where I come I from. I know it well, or I and knew it I well. I <laughs> loved programming. I loved coding. I did it was too. A eureka moment, you jump up and say, I yeah. did, I could write 2000 lines of code over a weekend, have them running on Monday morning. And, and I just had mm -hmm. a ball. So I wanna say to the two of you, it's been absolutely lovely. A thank you to my engineer, Josh, for getting us on the air and keeping Thanks, us- Thanks, Josh. Josh at Voice America Variety Show, Variety Channel. And a shout out to the gentleman who did the voiceover in the beginning, Ryan Treasure, my co-producer on some of my other shows. And he's the VP, I call him VP of everything at Voice America, but I'm sure there are other VPs there too. But Ryan is my VP of everything. I want to thank Jan Hurst. Such a delight getting to know you. And I'm just so excited for what you've done. And you're a lovely lady. And and Thank, Thank you, you, Lucy, for being on the show and Eddie Sarkey. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And I want to tell both of you it's time for us to wave goodbye. So remember, find a way to be creative, whoever you are. Get out of your own way. Get out of your own skin. Think outside the box. <laughs> Use Jan Hurst and Eddie Sarfati as examples. Just 
break out and do something you really mm-hmm. think is going to be sure. fun in life because the boundaries are yours. That's the only boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So read my lips, right. cool conversations with creators. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Red. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host aka Radio Red again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a positively cool creative week.